0: I've been sharing about the return of Jesus for the last few months, and uh, what I'm going to share today, some of you guys, especially those with me on a Wednesday in our cell study may kind of know, but I really felt in my spirit to sh- begin to share this particular topic uh, as we gearing up for His return. So to recap very quickly, we looked... And we talked about we have seen a changed world in many agendas taking place right now. Tomorrow we are going to have a new prime minister, you know, and that probably going to change the course of how things is done in this country. So we want to continue to pray to the United Kingdom as well. He also raised the following question that we spoke about as the sign, the end of time, speaking by the prophets throughout the Bible, and Jesus himself spoke in the book of Matthew 24, 25 as well. Now, most people believe, most scholars believe that we're actually in the end times. I do believe that we're in the end times. As a matter of fact, I believe we're in the end times since I became a Christian. You know, this is as far as it goes. And Jesus himself likened the event to labor pain. If you remember, we looked a little bit in, in Matthew 24 when Jesus said that those events, you know, they would be like labor pain that would precede uh, the uh, you know, the end times. Now, we got many mothers here and they know what labor pain looks like. And it's very painful. And it goes slowly and increases as the baby is about to come out. And that's really signs that we're looking to and according to the bible there are key events that will affect the whole world so last time i was here we talked about the rapture of the church so i'm not going to go into too much detail again we spoke about the invasion of magog against israel which is found in the book of ezekiel chapter 38 i may go in detail one or another topic at some stage The arrival, sorry, and reign of of the Antichrist, also known as the beast. He will come here, set up his kingdom for seven years, and will persecute those who are here as well. The Battle of Armageddon. We've seen many movies trying to depict how it will look like. That will be the final judgment, final war of mankind against Israel. It will be fought in Israel in a place called Megiddo. And at the time, Jesus returned with the saints. He will destroy the Antichrist, and he will establish what we call the Millennium Kingdom. Now, this is not um, allegory. This is a physical thousand years that will be on earth when Jesus will reign on earth with the saints, And then there will be the new earth and a new Jerusalem that you can find in the book of Revelation 21, verse 1. Now, all those things we'll be talking about over this year or next year as we go. But all those events, they've been prophesied by Daniel, Ezekiel. John the Apostle saw the event and recorded it in a book of Revelation. Now, those prophecies are here to help us, to give us hope, and to also help us to prepare for what is coming. But how do we prepare for his return? And there has been many questions for many people. How do we prepare? How do we prepare it? So, over the last few months, we looked at number one, faith which is importance to believe the word of God. When God say that he will come, he will come back. We looked at obedience and trust in him. It's very important in season that we are obedient to what God is speaking to us and that we trust him. Number three, we looked at let God do his thing in that sense and know that he is the Lord. Number four, very important. How can we prepare for Jesus if we don't even know him? So we need to know Jesus. Number five, watch, prepare, and be ready. And as I mentioned, last time I was here, I shared about the rapture. And uh, we know that rapture can take place at any time and any moment. If you look in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, 52, if you can put it on the screen here, First Corinthians 15, 52, it says this. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. So that is the first thing. The rapture can take place at any moment. As we are, you guys are listening and I'm speaking now, it can take place right now. We don't know. We also know that the rapture will only take place among the believers. And that is the thing that we need to understand. First Thessalonians 4, 16, 17 says this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall always be with the Lord. So two events taking place at any moment and only taking place among the believers. So if you're not born again, I would suggest to understand and try to get your relationship with the Lord right in that sense. Now, someone asked me this question, what is the difference between the rapture and the second coming? And I put it this very simply. The rapture is people meet Jesus in the air. The second coming Jesus come down on earth with the saints. That is the difference. Two specific events. Rapture is very specific. Is God meeting the believers in here. The second coming is Jesus coming back on earth with the saints in that sense to defeat the Antichrist. Now, the question remains, are we ready for the rapture? And that's how we ended up last time. Are we ready for the rapture? You know, Jesus... Want us to be part of the banquet. He wants us to be part of the bride. So we have to be ready for it. Do you know that there are Christians today that may miss the rapture? It is possible. You know, there's a scripture that our late Pastor Joseph used to share to us. You know, work your salvation with fear and trembling. It is not given. Because you give your life to Jesus, it is not given. There's still work to be done here. You've got to remain until you breath your last breath. Until last. You can be here today, have a relationship with Jesus, and stop that relationship and you die. You miss the boat. The key for us is to remain in the Lord while we are on this earth. That is the thing, key. It is a challenge. It is a challenge, but that is the prerequisite. You know, people will tell you, once saved, always saved. Nah. Nah. Work your salvation with fear and trembling. You see, the early church was so adamant that Jesus returned in their lifetime due to the persecution that they were going through, the pressure that they were going through. They needed hope. So when John, the apostle that I mentioned early on, who at the time was the leader, was sent to Patmos by the Romans. And the reason he was sent to Patmos is because he was getting on the Romans' nerves. He was the leader of the church and the gospel. He was preaching the gospel and the people were getting saved in the Roman Empire. So they tried to silence him for good. They even bowled him. Now, I put my finger in hot water, and it does burn. And it hurts. So can you imagine the whole body boiled, John? But it's tough. John is very tough. Didn't die. So they didn't know what to do with the guy. So they sent him to Patmos, you know, uh, island. In Greece, you know, rocky island. This is nothing to do than Maldives or anything place. This is a very, very rocky place. To let him rot there and let him die. And as he was in Patmos, he had an encounter with Jesus. And he saw Jesus in all his glory. Now, many people believe that Jesus' last words were found in the book of Matthew 28, verse 90 to 20, when he said to the disciple, Go therefore and make Disciple of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them all things, and I'll be with you, etc. You know, call it a great commission. Now, I was having a discussion with my, my lovely wife a few days ago about, about the matter, and also I spoke to the people on the Wednesday. I believe personally that the last instruction of Jesus recorded in the Bible is found in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. When he addressed seven letters to seven churches, instruction how to do church in essence. Now, Jesus wrote those letters to seven churches that were located in Asia Minor. Today is Turkey, but back in the days it was in Asia Minor. And those churches were Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Tataya, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, there were many, many other churches, many other. But Jesus specifically chose those seven churches. And you've got to ask the question, why? Why did he choose seven specific churches based in Asia Minor? Simply because when you study those letters, you can apply those letters in four different levels. So number one, they can apply locally, which clearly means there were churches that existed in those days. So there were church in Ephesus and as I mentioned it as well. Number two, they can apply as one, as the church seen in that, in that sense. Number three, we're all part of the church. We're all believers. So when you look and study those letters, it can apply into your personal life as well. And number four, it can apply prophetically. Which means those letters, as you look at it, those seventh letters represent seven successive church history. It's a chronological order of the church history, three, seven stages. And that starts from the church Ephesus in AD 15 all the way to the last church, which is the church of today, found in Revelation 3.14.22. Now, the Lord asked me specifically to begin to do a talk on those churches. Because I truly believe the rapture is coming. And it's very important that we understand what Jesus speaking to the churches, what he said to us. And kind of apply in our life and also apply to our church, local church, and as a body of Christ. Now for John at the time when he wrote those letters, they were prophetic because the event didn't take place. But when we look at it, it's more historic for us. Because we can see three those seven churches, it represents seven key stages of it. The way Jesus wrote those letters as well very important. They all have the similar outline. So what we find out, first of all, he gives a divine revelation of who he is, of himself. As he introduced himself to the churches based on the spiritual atmosphere of the church. Then he goes on to say what is right about the church. What are they doing right? And then he goes on to say what are they doing wrong? And he gives them a warning and a time to repent and i truly believe that those letters have been ignored by the church today. We have brushed aside a lot of things but those are the last instruction of Jesus to the church. And it's important for us as believers to begin to take heed of what those letters means and what they represent and how we can apply it into our life to our local church and to the church as the body of Christ. The interesting thing about those seven letters they ask Two churches when Jesus has nothing wrong to say about those churches. And there's one church when Jesus has nothing good to say about. So as we look over the next few months about those letters, let's see how we can apply it. And if there's anything in our heart that we looked at and said, you know what? I need to change in that sense. Let's do this. Because I truly believe Jesus is speaking to us now through those letters. And he's telling us to begin to prepare ourselves for his return. So when we look at those seven letters, the first church, Jesus' main theme is about this church is to stay in love with Him. The second church, said to be committed even until death. The third church is said do not compromise. The fourth church is said do not be corrupt. The fifth church is to be alive in a spirit. The sixth church is to remain faithful, and the last one to not be lukewarm. Now, does this church still exist today in Turkey? Unfortunately, all the instruction that Jesus gave to those churches, they did not take heed. So, there's only one church which remains, is the church of Smyrna, which is the city of Izmir today. But the Yachu, if you look at Turkey, the spiritual atmosphere of Turkey is very, very dark that he was a very prominent back in those days. So today we are going to look into the first church, which is the church of Ephesus, also called the Loveless Church. And that's found in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, from verse 1 to 7. And he says this, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, This thing says, He who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands? I know you work, underline this, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you are, that you ate the deeds of Nicolaitan, which I also ate. And he goes on to say, He will ask and hear. Let me hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To he who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I understand why people don't want to read those letters. Because on one way, God will tell you, Jesus is telling you what you're doing right. All the good stuff that you want to hear. And you know. You don't want to hear people telling you off. You don't want to hear people telling you that you're not doing the right thing. I like to hear, you know, when my wife telling me off, like yesterday evening, I had to hit humble pie. Took me a while, but it wasn't easy. You don't like to hear that. But she was speaking the truth. And Jesus is speaking the truth to the church. But he's, uh, he's very diplomatic. You know, some people, when they want to tell you the truth, you know, sometimes you got to manage it. So Jesus came and said, you know, remember who I am. You know, remember the one who holds the seven stars. Now all these, Jesus used the seven stars in his right hand and he said, in the midst of the seven golden lamps." that's a description of himself. And he applies specifically to this church to depict the spiritual atmosphere of the church. The angel of the church here is the pastor. So, the letters are addressed to the pastor. So, Pastor, make up Pastor Nikolai, if you see a letter coming from Jesus, you know, that's what it is. He's speaking to the leader of the church. And he's supposed to take that letters, to take heed of these letters, and now to take it to the congregation. Jesus is in the midst of the church. Is everywhere. He knows what's going on. You know, I love this when he said, I know your works. Do you know Jesus knows everything about us? What we do? You know, how we prepare? You know, how we worship? How we pray? How we praise? Whatever is inside our heart, deep inside, he knows it. We don't. You know, we can come to church with a big smile in our faces and, and pretending that we love Jesus when we don't. Or we can just come to church pretending that everything is all right when he's not. And there's nothing in them from Jesus. And Jesus is the, I know your works. Let me give you a bit of background about the word Ephesus. The word Ephesus means darling or loved one or desired one. Ephesus means desirable. And it was a very, very nice place to live. Now, it was called the star of Asia, of the light of Asia. And um, his greatness in the city was two sources. Number one was commercial trade, and number two was religion. Now, it was the largest city in the Roman province of Asia. And he said about the time the gospel was preached here, he had a population of more than a quarter of a million in the city. Now, this is what the historian said in our done some research, and this is what they said about the city. They said it was truly a breathtaking city. They said a traveler from Rome landing at Ephesus would proceed in a magnificent street avenue, 35 feet wide, and lined up with columns, which led from the harbor to the center of the city. It boasted a major stadium, marketplace, and theater. And they also said that it was a prominent religious center They were worshipping Artemis, Diana in dozens. So, this city was beautiful. It was a very immoral and violent city. And Jesus, in the midst of the city, planted his church. Planted his church there. They said a great preacher came to preach in that city. It was a very prominent church. But they had a big problem. A very, very big problem. They left their first love. I think we see this in many churches today. Very many churches. But the interesting thing, if you go back to the scripture again, Jesus, as I said, before he tells you what is wrong, he's got to tell you what is Right? They were a serving church. They were serving. They were serving. They were patient. They were hard workers. You will see this church, they were doing all kinds of ministry you can think of. They had a homeless ministry, you know. They had a food bank. They had everything. And they were working hard. They were hard workers. It was a very, 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 very busy church. nonstop. Non-stop. They witnesses. They evangelized. They labored. They done everything. It was a great church to be in, and Jesus was happy about it. He said, "Well done." And also, they were a steadfast church. They no quitting. You know, they will work to the ground, nonstop. There were no quitters in that church. It was a pure church as well, a very pure church. As I said, the city was very immoral, but they were pure. They followed the word of God to the letters, and they would not compromise. That was a type of church that you probably see everywhere in this country. You see it everywhere, you know. You see the bus in you know, all this advert about, you know, revival, healing, you know, prophetic ministry, homeless ministry. They were there, and the word was sound. The word was very sound in sense. They were also a very discerning church. So not only they, had, they were very active and they knew what to do, they also had the spirit. They also had the discerning of spirit. So not where people coming in and just bring some false doctrine, they said, no, nah, no. Nah. You're not coming in and preaching in my church with your false doctrine. Because I know the word of God. I know what the word says. He said also that they hated the Nicolaitan. no. Those group of guys, they were promoting fornication and they were compromising on everything, even the food that they were eating. And Jesus said that they hated those guys. So Jesus was happy about his church. They was, it seemed that there's nothing wrong with this church because they seemed to be doing the right thing. But again, the first love, the first love. That's what Jesus didn't like. They lost their passion for Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Remember those days when you gave your life to Jesus and you couldn't stop getting hand? You know, you would go all the way, whatever there was a thing about Jesus. It was all about Jesus, all about Jesus, you know. People talking to you, no, no, it's all about Jesus, mate. My life is all about Jesus. And you will run miles. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus and we went to uh, refresh. It was camp before. And this is such a nice place because you go in Derbyshire somewhere, there's no one, no way to be distracted by the world. It's like you're in a bubble, you know, in a bubble. And it's God and people of God and everybody worshiping and it's lovely. And you come out of that bubble, and the first thing is, where's, where's the next prayer meeting here? I need to go, you know, 8, 9 o'clock. And you will go, you will do whatever was necessary. Remember your first love? Married people. You know, those who are married for 20, 25 years, 19 years. Remember when you all started, you know? Grooming yourself nicely. Wearing nice shoes, nice clothes, you know? Cleaning yourself nicely, and then... Open the door to your lady when she come in. Do all the right thing. I cook for you every day. You know? I clean wash every day for you. Hmm? Five years later. What's going on here? Two years later. Some people say two years. Some people a few months. Newly wed over there. How's it going? Still the same? Still like the first days? I tell you. That's what happened. We Begin to take things for granted, and we forget our first love. And this church at Ephesus, they were so busy working, doing the right thing, thinking they're doing the right thing. So they started so well that at the end, everything became work, work, work. They coming to church is work. They setting up the chair is work. Even the worship is work. Preaching the word is work. Everything is work. There's no passion. There's no love. There's no desire. There's no relationship. You know what did I say about the importance for us to have that intimacy with Jesus? And you know, Jesus is more interested about his relationship with us than the amount of work that you're doing in church. And I'm telling you. Now, I'm not telling you, okay, I'm not doing any work anymore. This is it. I'm going, I'm retreating somewhere in the mountains, and I'm just going to see God's face, and that's it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Jesus... It's more interesting about our relationship with him than the work that we the work I'm doing. You know, we've been setting up this, this live stream thing, and it is great work. And, and you know, everybody's everybody's benefiting from it. But if there's no my relationship with Christ is not the way it's supposed to be, that's gonna burn. When I go before the Lord and I present my work before him. If there's no love or this love for Christ in the way I've done it, that will burn. So whatever we do here on earth, we've got to remember, are we doing it for ourselves or are we doing it for Jesus? When I'm sharing the word, am I sharing the word for you guys or am i am sharing the word for Jesus? It's important, you know, that we remind ourselves to be everything we do is for Jesus. Now, I'm not saying it's easy because we do get, take things for granted. As a human being, we tend to take things for granted. After a few years, you know, we're used to it. And I mommy would come and clean behind us. we do the cooking and we get used to it. Our daddy would just do this and we get used to it. And we forget. But Jesus doesn't want us to forget. He wants to make sure that regardless of what we do in church, regardless of what we do at home, regardless of what we do at work, our first love remains, Him. you know. The scripture is very simple. The guys ask Jesus, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And the greatest commandment, he says this, Love your Lord, with all your heart, strength, mind. And that's what he wants from us. He wants us to love him with all all we have. You know, he wants us to put him first. So Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, Listen, all the stuff that you've been doing for me, it looks great on the surface, but it has no flavor because your first love is not there. So it's not like they love Jesus less. It's they literally left the love at the door and start focusing on the other thing. So he asked the Ephesus to repent. And he says this, how do we go back to that first love? He said, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So I think we need to go back to basics. We need to go back to we need to revisit how we fall in love with Jesus in the first place. Why did you fall in love with Jesus in the first place? Why did you fall in love with your wife in the first place? Why did you fall in love with your husband in the first place? What are the things that make you fall in love? And not focusing on the inadequacies. I focus on what you fall in love in the first place, and Jesus wants us to do that. He wants us to fall in love again, fall in love with His words, fall in love with His ways. He wants us to do the things that we used to do previously, where we used to run to the services crying out because we love Jesus so much. You know, you know and the preacher said one word, and you, you start crying. I remember my sorry, can I share this, darling? Thank you. I need to ask. You know, I come down. The early days, she would keep crying. She would keep crying and crying and crying. So I had a tissue in my hand all the time, you know, prepared. But the reason she was crying is because her love for Jesus was so deep that whatever word was coming, whatever preaching message, you know, where she was coming, she would just burst out crying. Because her love was so deep. She still got love for him. For some people, it's crying. For others, they're just laughing. You know, your expression, your emotion are very different. But the important thing is to remain first love. I want to finish with this. I want to finish with the story of um, Mary, a martyr. which found in the book of Luke. 10, 38, 42. Now, for those who don't know, Mary and Martha were the sister of Lazarus. Lazarus, Jesus that rose raised from the dead. That was his sister's. And uh, they were very close friends to Jesus. And they live in a town called Bethany. That was about, about two miles from Jerusalem. And uh, one day, Jesus and disciples went to visit them uh, in their home. And uh, Mary... Where was she? She was at the feet of Jesus. Martha was just working. She was doing the thing that most of people do, you know. Get the service ready. Get the tables ready. Get everything ready, you know. While well, Mary said, you know what? I want to spend time with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. So if everything is dirty there, it doesn't matter. I'm 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 here. I'm here right at his feet. And that's why she was spending her time. And obviously... Martha was very frustrated about it because she's thinking, I'm doing all that work, you know. And you're here sitting down at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus has to rebuke her, you know. And, and really the story for us, we need to, as we understand the church of Ephesus, we need to begin to prioritize him in our lives. It's very important. As Jesus is coming, as the rapture is taking place, the importance of prioritizing him. Him, him alone. Why don't we stand? Father, I just want to thank you this morning. And uh, Lord, I just want to bring this word before you. And Lord, I raise my hand first here. And Lord, I just want you to be my first love. And for those who hear here this morning who want to raise their hand to the Lord and surrender, that, then please do so. Lord, whatever we've done in the past, whatever we've done, we're sorry. If we left you at the door, we are sorry. If we put things before you, we are sorry. Lord, we ask you to help us, Lord, this morning. Help us. Help us to remember. Remember the days when we were in love with you where you were first for everything. And Lord, I pray this morning upon myself, upon here, CLF Medway, and upon the church as the body of Christ, that we will cultivate that first love with you, that we will cultivate that intimacy with you. We thank you, Father, for continually pouring out your grace and your mercy upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.